Well, I will be in the third chapter of Acts today. We're continuing on. I want to ask you a question. When Jesus called you, did you realize the life that you would experience in Christ Jesus? I didn't. I had no idea. I was called to the Lord at, at the age of eight and went into ministry uh, as an adult at the age of 23. And I had no idea what I would experience. You wonder what Peter, James, and John, and Andrew all felt when they were fishermen. Look with me at chapter 3. We're going to read the first three, our first ten verses. <clears throat> now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of all those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen. Well, here we are. We have four fishermen. And they're out fishing, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. They're fishing partners. Their whole life is wrapped around the Sea of Galilee, specifically the fish that come out of that sea, the catching, the marketing, all of that, fishermen. That's all they were concerned about was their boats, their nets, and their livelihood. And then this man called Jesus of Nazareth comes by and tells them to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Can you imagine what was going through their heads? You can just surmise. Leave all of this, the certainty at least to a certain extent of the fish that we produce, leave our nets, leave our business, and follow you? Well, it reminds me of a story I heard that in 1983, a man by the name of John Scully quit his post at PepsiCo to become the president of Apple Computer. He took a big risk, leaving his prestigious position with a well-established firm to join ranks with an unproven little outfit that offered no guarantees. Only the excitement of one man's transforming vision. Scully says he made the risky move only after Apple's co-founder, Steve Jobs, goaded him with the question. And here's the question. Do you want to spend the, next, the rest of your life Selling sugared water? Or do you want a chance to change the world? I think that 
is the way Jesus framed it to the disciples. Do you want to be fishers of fish? Or do you want to be fishers of men? Do you want to feed the people for a day? Or for eternity? Well, here we have Peter and John as partners and good friends. Little did they know what they would experience with all the the three plus years that they spent with Jesus, watching him do his miracles after miracles and healings after healings and watching people become transformed from inside out. We have just left Peter where he was in Jerusalem around the Temple Mount. And there as he began to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, there were those men that said, Men and brethren, what should we do? Jesus told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that day some 3,000 men were baptized, had given their lives to Jesus Christ. And then it says daily those were being added such as should be saved. Well, we see in uh, Acts 2 and 42 and following that that there were signs and wonders being performed on a daily basis with these gatherers of Jesus Christ. Well, here we have an example of one such wonder. You see, they were partners in the fishing business. Peter and John prepared the last Passover meal for Jesus. They were the two, two of the people that ran to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday to see that Jesus had truly been resurrected. The Bible says that they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You see, there were, there were three hours of prayer in, at the temple. There was the hour of 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. 3 p.m., which was the ninth hour because their day started at 6 a.m. and ended at 6 p.m. And so, why the third hour? Do you think that's so important? Think back on it. It was uh, that, that uh, ninth hour, excuse me, the ninth hour of prayer at 3 p.m. Why was that so significant? You look back at the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember, the sun was blotted out from 12 o'clock p.m. till 3, and at 3 o'clock, Jesus bowed his head and said, It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus said. And he died, 3 p.m. So it was, 3 p.m. became significant to the Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem, and it was a very uh, important, impressionable time of the day. And here was Peter and John coming in, and the Bible says, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Now, Archaeologists, theologians don't always agree on where this beautiful gate was located in the temple. There were nine gates going from the court of Gentiles into the temple area. The beautiful gate, we don't know exactly which one. Most people felt it was the eastern gate. But the important thing, I think, was why was it called beautiful? Josephus, the ancient historian, says this about it. He says that the gate was 50 cubits high, which makes it 75 feet high. Imagine. It was, he continues by saying, it was adorned after a most costly manner 
as having such rich plates of gold and silver. It was made of Corinthian bronze and shaped in the form of a vine, symbolizing Israel as the vine of God in the world's vineyard. It shone like gold in the sunshine. Well, it was appropriate. Here was the cripple. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 22 will tell you later on that he had been crippled from birth for over 40 years. Think about that. 40 years being a cripple. He had never stood a day in his life. His parents could never have seen him take that first step because he was crippled from the moment he was born for 40 plus years. And every day of his life, some friends picked him up and took him into the temple area to beg for alms. Well, there he was, along with a lot of other beggars, and he, being crippled, was simply begging. We see this beggar. He was, uh, he was there among all these other beggars. Now, let me stop and take a little aside with you for just a second. Why did Jesus not heal the lame man? Jesus had come into the courtyard a number of times. He had healed many uh, lame people before, people with various diseases and maladies and, and crippled arms and legs, and he had done it so many times before. Why didn't he not heal this particular man? You see, God knows the perfect timing for you and for me. Peter just came from a situation where 3,000 people had come to know the Lord and then daily people were added such as should be saved. And now he goes from a crowd to engaging with a single individual and that single individual just happened to be a poor beggar begging for alms. So I want to, for those of us that just happen to get a little discouraged over perhaps the lack of fruitfulness of our witness or the fact that we've been praying for somebody for so long and it just hadn't happened, understand this. It's always about God's timing. Now that doesn't excuse us as the sower of the seed, the seed being the gospel, to sow that seed and to be faithful in sowing that seed because we never know when the timing is right. Perhaps people had already talked to this man about the Lord. Perhaps people had already tried to help him in certain ways. Perhaps the Jewish leaders maybe had tried to persuade him to, to become faithful in following the law. But here was a man who was a cripple. Well, I don't know about you, but this cripple represents a lot more than just one single individual. We have a nation that's crippled. Here's a man who was outside the gate was not able to go inside the temple, felt like because of his disability, because of his crippling, because perhaps of his disfigurement, because of any number of things, that he wasn't going to be allowed to go into the presence of God. So we have this, this situation with our nation, our culture, people within it, individuals, groups, etc., who feel as though they have been denied opportunity for access to the Lord Jesus Christ for whatever reason. You know, there's a lot of reasons why it could happen. 
Perhaps the legalists got to them. Perhaps they, uh, he was not able to carry out the law to the nth that they desired and he felt ostracized. Perhaps there's any number of things. Because he was crippled, I'm sure they felt that he, his sin was great because his crippling was great. Whatever reason, there are those who are at the door of Jesus Christ but unable to enter. Well, here's the power of the Holy Spirit. And understand you have, as believers in Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit operating in you. Not with you, but in you to give you this opportunity. The timing is always the Lord's. There is a situation where here comes Peter and John passing all these other beggars going in through the beautiful gate into the temple. There they were going to pray and, and witness and, and do their Bible study as well. Why this beggar? All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit worked it out to where this particular beggar, out of all of the beggars lined up, called out to Peter and John. Alms, please, as he extends his right hand. Alms. And of course, he's looking down. He's not looking at Peter and John, but he had noticed them coming up through the crowd. Now, when you've been begging for all of these years, for decades, you begin to identify the personalities of the people. You see it on their face. These are going to be the ones that are going to help me out. These are going to be the easy marks, if you will, for helping me get some kind of gift today. Expecting coins. Well, it was he was at the right spot, and it was Jewish traditions, those that were going in to worship or to pray. I mean, it was they were seen as being very religious and being noble by giving something to the poor. So here he is. And he spots Peter and John as they come down. Then he lowers his head, sticks out his right hand, and calls out to them. But Peter said, look at us. Same method that Jesus had with those that he healed. Look at me. Of course, Jesus would look right through their eyes into their souls and know what they were thinking. Peter saw that that technique, and he wanted to engage this man to know the source of his help. Look at us, Peter said. I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you. Why is it in our culture, in our country, in our, in our own experience, do we think by throwing money at something we've solved the problem? The greater the budget, the greater the, the service, obviously. That's not always true. You see, Peter didn't give him what he wanted, but he gave him what he needed. And I have learned in my life, if Jesus is all I have, Jesus is all I need. And so many people in this, this world and in our nation specifically are seeking wants through so many other avenues and not going to Jesus Christ as the source, the author of life, abundant and eternal. So, Peter says, I don't have what you're seeking. Do you, have you ever said that to somebody? Mary Jo and I have <laughs> on time, time and again. Now, we, don't, we don't have money, but we, I'll tell you what we'll do for you. We'll tell you about Jesus or give you a gift certificate somewhere or, or take you in there and get you some food. 
We've had even we've even had beggars rejected. That's not what I'm asking. Well, what they don't need is money at that particular point. What they do need is a hand up in Jesus Christ. What they do need is a relationship with God that can only come by faith in Jesus Christ. It's that way. So they offer no financial help to this man because that really wasn't what he needed. What he needed was Jesus. So Peter offered Jesus. I don't have material possessions. I'm broke. I don't have a penny on me. But let me tell you what I do have because I'm the wealthiest man in the world, Peter was implying. What I have, I give to you, and that's Jesus. And so Peter took him by that right hand that was extended, expecting coins to be dropped in his hands, extended his hand to him and took him by that alms hand, that right hand, and lifted him up. Faith was expressed by Peter in extending his hand to this particular beggar, and faith was extended by the beggar to leap to his feet. The greatest healing was not physical but spiritual. And to this day, the greatest healing is not physical but spiritual. When God comes into a person's life through the Holy Spirit and He heals him from the inside out, there is nothing that can top that particular miracle. We can clean them up. We can give them new clothes. We can put them in a new residence. We can give them a new car. We can do any number of things. But until they have been completely healed from the inside out, Nothing has changed. You've just cleaned up a man and put him in a different environment. And so, here he is. Now I want you to see what happens here. He took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, Dr. Luke, Luke the physician, was the one that wrote Acts, I believe. And so, Dr. Luke is using a Greek term here where he talks about when he stood up His feet and ankles were made strong. He's talking about a medical condition where the the feet and the ankles were dislocated. And so, for a man whose legs had atrophied, you know what that means? It means that he had no muscularity whatsoever, no strength in those legs. They were thin as a rail. All you could see were bones, basically, because there's no muscular uh, muscularity to them. And Peter reaches down, and all of a sudden that power courses through not only Peter's hand, but the hand of the beggar, and heals his foot and ankle to where they solidly come back together. They're in socket, if you will. And so when he does, does the man stand up and feebly start wobbling around? You've seen newborn calves? That's what I would expect to see. But no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he raised him up immediately. His feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. Leaping up. And praising God. Wow. And so here he is, not wobbling, leaping up, praising God. Now, I want you to see his identity with Jesus in verse 8 through 10. When he leaped up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Why? Because he was praising God. The temple was where everyone told him God existed. And so 
He wanted to be with the source of His healing. I'm telling you, when you know Jesus Christ, when you find Jesus Christ, when He comes into your life, you're going to want to find the source of healing in Jesus. You're not going to let anything stop you. Oh, he didn't think about the fact that he had ragged clothes. He didn't think about the fact that he probably smelled bad. He didn't think about the fact that, that he had no money to give, nothing to, to put into the alms baskets out there, those trumpets. He didn't think about how, what the women were saying when he passed by. He didn't think about what the men were saying when he passed by. He just knew. I've got I've to praise God because it's all God. It, notice he did not give the attention to Peter and John. Peter and John did not ask for the attention. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Get up. Walk. Now, the timing. The man's heart may not have been ready for the Spirit to move on him at any other time, but this particular time. Peter and John were also spoken to by the Holy Spirit to talk to this man and to extend your hand to healing. And then, because he was a testimony, you're going to see this more in some sermons to come here, with this particular individual, because he was a testimony to the to the goodness and the graciousness of God and God alone to His healing power, He was able at that particular moment, at that particular time, in the movement of Christianity, to go into the church, into the temple, and praise God, and people began to see. Look at that identity. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping. Can you see this picture? Peter and John are just kind of walking along, and here's this guy walking, and then all of a sudden he starts leaping. Wow, I've got new legs. Man. And, I, and then what does it say? And praising God. I don't have new legs because of Peter and John. I've got new legs because of God and God alone. It is Him, and I'm going in to praise Him. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what anybody sees in me. I don't care if they've spit on me coming into the temple court area in years past. I don't care if they've, they've given me scourgings. I don't care what, if they've said discolored things about me. I don't care. I don't care about any of that. All I care about is that Jesus Christ is coming to my life. Amen. And I'm going into the temple and praising Him. And what does it say? When you talk about timing, what does it say? All the people saw him walking and praising God. I bet they saw him leaping too. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. Why would they not? He's been that way for 40 plus years. He'd been brought to that same spot every time he became a fixture. But he was outside the temple as a cripple. Now he's whole, and he's inside, worshiping God. And they were were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know what? God loves to show off. He loves to show his glory. Don't ever doubt that. God loves to be glorified. He loves to have the credit given to him that is due him. 
He loves to receive the praise, the adoration brought about by showing his glory in a profound way. Wow. I hope you see that. Then not only did he identify with Jesus Christ, but notice he identified with Jesus' followers. Verse 11 said, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Clung to Peter and John. What would you do? That's the first time he'd ever been in the temple, probably. I mean, when a man's lame, obviously he's sinned. You don't want a sinner in the temple, do you? Do we want sinners in here? <laughs> Amen. Amen. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us are sinners. All of us are crippled to some extent. Every single one of us have that crippling disfigurement, spiritually speaking. And yet, because of Jesus Christ, we don't just walk in with the believers. We leap. Man, what a sight that was. But he clung to Peter and John. This was a whole new experience. And look at all these people rushing toward him. You'd cling to somebody too. If people started rushing toward you, you'd never been in there before, and all of a sudden these people started rushing toward Peter and John because they're seeing something they've never seen before. And so he clung. Now, if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, mark this down. The Bible says do not forsake yourself assembling with other believers as some do. So what it's saying there in Hebrews is that you and I have found a new family of faith in Christ Jesus. We've had so many people that have come to know the Lord here in the past few years. So many people have gotten their lives back in line with the Lord. And this is your church family. This family is responsible for raising newborn believers in Christ Jesus to maturity. And so this church family should be that important to you. You should cling to one another. You should embrace one another. You should help each other grow in the Lord, become strong in the Lord, to be raised to full maturity. This is what the man did. Why did he cling to Peter and John? It was a scary scene with everybody rushing toward him. Secondly, it was just an unfamiliar scene. Thirdly, he was just caught in that moment, praising God. Wow. So I guess my question to you today would be the question that Steve Jobs asked John Scully. Do you want a chance change the world or are you satisfied with doing what you're doing on a daily basis today you have an opportunity if you're listening or you're here personally and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today is the best day to do it on this Pentecost Sunday today is the best day there is no better day than today today is the day that you should give your life to the Lord if you've never done it before. Secondly, maybe you've followed Jesus Christ, you, you've been obedient, but you haven't followed him in baptism by immersion, or maybe you haven't 
united with the church family. Today is the day that you'll want to do that. Any excuse falls on deaf ears. So, for all of us, the question is, do you want a chance to change the world? Are you willing, like Peter and John, just to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's urgings? Are you willing to listen to what God is asking you to do? Are you just satisfied with the status quo? This is your opportunity. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the the opportunity that we have to serve you in whatever way we possibly can. Thank you for allowing us, Lord Jesus, to have that leap of faith, to stand, to leap, to walk into your fellowship. Lord, to experience you in a, in a way that is intimate and personal and real. Lord, by faith in turning our lives over to you. All of us are crippled to one extent or another. Lord God, may we come to you, Father, that you would make us whole once again. So we commit our lives to you. I thank you for these decisions that are being made. I know they're there. I know your word has been received by fertile soil. So, Lord, allow that seed to grow and to become fruitful. Thank you, Lord, for the decisions being made, for the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. And I just pray that each and every one of you begins to ask God for that opportunity that Holy Spirit would give you to share your faith with somebody else, to help somebody. Just be sensitive to what the Lord is asking you to do. You're the church. This is the building. You're the church. And I'm praying for you and for your faithfulness and fruitfulness in the days yet to come. So have a very blessed day in the Lord. God bless.